NBA second round is here. Got four great matchups going on right now. We're recording this on a Wednesday night, right before we've got Denver and Phoenix part two. So we're not going to know what happens there yet. But one heck of a game one there. The Brooklyn Nets just pummeling the Bucks right now. But that's headed back to Milwaukee. Sixers and Hawks, that's a fun one right now, too. Trey Young had a little bit of struggles there. Joel Embiid somehow playing on a torn meniscus and looking like a superhuman. And then, of course, you got the Clippers and the Jazz, which just kicked off as well on Tuesday. And boy, oh boy, that was a fun one. Jazz came out fire or came out uh, a little flat. Clippers came out looking like they were just can carry momentum over from their last series with the Mavs. We know they're gone. Then the Jazz come out of the gate in the second half. Donovan Mitchell sets the world on fire. And boom, here we are. Jazz up one to nothing. What's up, guys? Keeping it at 94. Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz. Bringing you another episode as a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Man, I love the playoffs. It's just the, the, the energy of the crowd. It always speaks to me. It's very fun. You see the environment in Phoenix. You see the environment in Utah, Philly, you know, pretty much everywhere that, that they've been now, now that we're deep into this and getting towards, you know, that higher goal. Fans are starting to anticipate it. Stopped acting like jackasses for a week at least. Knock on wood. I'm just enjoying it. I'm enjoying the ride. There's been so much high-level basketball, regardless of final scores. And even some of the final scores are, are closer right now. So, But I, I'm just enjoying it. The stars are carrying right now. LeBron James isn't there, but you know what? As Brian will tell you, the ratings are doing just fine. You shouldn't care about ratings anyway because it's really weird. But they're doing just fine. The stars of tomorrow are turning into the stars of today. And it's going really fun. You mentioned the crowds, and that was where I was going to go first, because the crowds have been electric. And it's it's part of we've missed it for so long. Plus, it is playoff basketball. And some of these areas just embrace their team so much, especially when you talk about those crowds in Philly and the crowd in Utah, where both of those games, um, both those series have been high level so far, high energy, crowd totally into it, especially for game two of the Philly Atlanta game a series, and then game one between the Jazz and the Clippers. That Utah crowd is rowdy. They don't mind going after other teams, other players, chatting playoff P at Paul George and doing all these different things. It makes for a great environment. They, they so, called him overrated. And yeah, the thing is, too, the, Paul liked it. Paul said, if that's the kind of stuff that I'm getting, then I'm fine with it. You know, like because that that's fun banter and that's not anything personal. So like that kind of behavior is fine. That's what fans do. They're supposed to egg on the other guy. They're supposed to get in their heads and trying to get them to miss the free throw line. That is the level of, of fandom that you love to see. Absolutely. I, I love that too, because as long as it's nothing personal and you're just going after somebody, you boo, you chant, um, you know, nice, simple chants like that, uh, that, that aren't uh, too terse, then I'll, I'm all for it. And that, that crowd in Philly was just 
so amped up, especially for that game too. I, part of that was a level of desperation because they, they wanted them to tie that series. They want to go down, you know, 0-2 to Atlanta. That crowd was fired up. And then when Philly went on that big run in the fourth quarter, man, that, that, that crowd, it almost felt like they were ready to go out in the street and fight somebody as well. You know, it's just, they're so amped up and we've been missing this for so long. And now to have these huge, meaningful games, in the playoffs, in the second round, and you've got a lot of places now opening up with uh, full attendance You know, at the arenas. I mean, it, it's incredible to watch. The city, of Bar- the city of brotherly love was shaking, courtesy of Mr. Shake Milton. How awesome. How awesome was that? Just randomly coming out in the second half. The Get this. The Sixers, their bench was being outscored 32 to nothing at half by, by, by Atlanta. You know, Danilo Gallinari and, you know, the vets that were coming out and, and doing their thing. Kevin Herter, the Hawks, they were, they were really pressing uh, the buttons the right way in the second quarter after, you know, Philly got off to that really quick start. And that's something that I've loved about this Hawks team is just the, their refusal to lie down. And I think that kind of shines through what Nate McMillan has taught them. Uh, but I also think that's, again, the vets that bring that mentality, especially in the playoffs, that there's just this, you know, refusal to go away. And it took a Shake Milton, you know, reckoning to, to, to finally put the, put the foot down and the nail in the coffin there. But that was, that was a really fun game, even though the, the final score doesn't indicate it. And, and, you know, the Hawks still got one in Philly. So we're going back to the A, as Trey likes to say, and we've got a tie series. And um, that's what you're trying to fun. do. If you're going to be a road team, you, you I mean, if if you're the road team in a series, you want to get one on the road to begin it and take that home court advantage. That's exactly what Atlanta did. And that that you know, game two was competitive for at least three quarters. And then Philly went on that big run. It, it's obscene that. Watch that performance from Shake Milton. You don't get that all the time, obviously, from role players. But to see him lighting it up the way he did and the way he totally changed that game, it makes you wonder, how did this guy not get any run in game one? Can I, can I tell you something that's really obscene, though? Go for it. Do you know Shake Milton's contract? It's one of those, those uh, quote-unquote bargain deals, isn't it? Like a Lugans Dort deal. Uh, you know how much he's owed next year? All right, if it's a low amount, I'm going to guess somewhere around the $2 million area. Next year, he is owed $1.846 million. That's a second-round contract. The following year, it's just a shade under $2 million. He's making uh, just over $1.7 million this year. So basically, he is on a three-year contract that's worth $5 million. Make some money, Shake. Make your money. And he did that, it in the playoffs. He honestly did it in the playoffs a, a couple of years ago, too. Like, right. He had, he had his moments in the postseason, 18-19. Who could forget uh, those games that he would just randomly go off? I mean, or sorry, that wasn't 18-19. That was, uh, that, that was last year. But that was a fun time to see him kind of come out of his shell. But th- so the reasoning, at least from what I've been reading, is that Shake had a really tough end of the season. And, you know, it's probably tough for Doc Rivers to find time for, you know, I'm using a Nikias word here, but the triumvirate of 
you know, Shake Milton for Gonkorkmaz. Tyrese Maxey's shown a lot of a lot of guts. Um, you know, they've got Matisse Thibel, who's an you know a defensive juggernaut. So you know that balancing act has to be really tough when you have all those guards on that team to find the right amount of minutes. And Shake still didn't even play 15 minutes in that game too when he went off and scored 14. Like that's probably a really difficult balancing act. And then you add George Hill into the mix who you acquired at the deadline. It's not an easy job. So for Shake to stay prepared and to do what he did to come out and do that, it's impressive. <laughs> you know what's you know what's even even more impressive, Brian? Joel Embiid playing on a bad knee and stomping everybody. He has a partially torn left meniscus. <laughs> DeAndre Hunter, by the way, really sucks for DeAndre Hunter. He was really having a good year in the regular season. Then he had that injury and then, you know, started getting playing time in the, in the playoffs and then too much wear and tear. He's done for the year now, but just to kind of illustrate the, the, the toughness of Joel Embiid and especially for someone, his size that has injury history already to be playing on that, to be dominating. He made Clint Capella look like a fool in game two. And Clint, and Clint Capella is one of the most underrated centers in the league, one of the best rim protectors, one of the best rim runners, uh, a cleanup guy on the offensive glass. Joel Embiid absolutely made him look like crap in game two. And I mean, he made him look bad in game one. Remember, he, he scored 39 in game one. He scored 40 in game two. The difference for Philly is twofold. Number one, uh, the bench obviously had a better game in game two. And obviously their defense played a lot better because in game one, they go up 128 points. You want a narrow loss. And, you know, game two, they hold the Hawks to 102. And, you know, Trey didn't have a typical Trey game like he did in, in the first game um, where he put up 35. But um, and then they just had to make them work a little bit harder. Um, but that that's been the difference in the series so far. And, you know. And B, it's been so impressive to watch what he's doing with this knee injury because, like, you know, I'm he, watching him in the post, and I'm like, how are you? How do you possibly have the dexterity and the pain management uh, mentality? I guess because, like, physically, it shouldn't be possible. Well, every but, time he goes down, I mean, the, the, it's not like this is a guy that's hobbling around or not moving well, or he's still he's, putting it on the floor. He's still pulling up. He's, he's still falling trying. down all the time. He falls like, down almost every possession. And every time I see him go down, I almost, you know, put my head in my hands, but he gets right back up. I, I don't know. I, I seriously don't know how he's doing it. And uh, that's just more of a testament to, you know, his toughness. I, I pray and I hope that he does not get hurt for overdoing it because he, <laughs> he's got a bum leg right now. And, Somehow he's putting up these just monstrous numbers. Uh, you had to assume that, you know, coming off of the MVP announcement that that Joel Embiid would be doing what he's doing. And, and we'll get to the MVP announcement uh, later in the show. But it's just, it's remarkable what he's been doing. And then, you know, you, you have complimentary guy who hasn't been a complimentary guy all season long, Tobias Harris, who's been consistent. You know, they put Ben Simmons on Trey Young. You know that that you know those possessions that he's on him is huge. Uh, you know, I throwing think the possessions they put Thibel on him because mm -hmm. Thibel is so good. I mean, in game one, I thought it was a mistake 
that they put Danny Green on him and Danny got left out on an island because I think I think Danny's still a solid defender, but not for somebody as quick as Trey. And they they kind of left him out to dry. But you they gave him different looks, you know, with Simmons and the size, and then you put Tybal and, and the tenacity that he brings to it, because that guy's just a gnat in your pocket the entire time. Oh, and yeah. and I think that, you know, definitely affected Trey more in that game. No question. No question. And, uh, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention Seth Curry, too. Seth Curry hitting five threes. Uh, you know, that's somebody that the, the Sixers did not have last year. They did not have the shooting threat. And what have we talked about all season, Brian, about the the job that Daryl Morey and Elton Brand did to improve this roster, to suit it to the personnel that was the core. And that's exactly what they've done. I know Danny Green hasn't been the best in this series so far, as a shooter, but he's still making an impact. He's still playing pretty solid defense. It's a really tough ask to, to put someone like Danny Green, who's been in the league for a number, number of years, starting to, you know, get some tread on the tires on Trey Young. That's a difficult ask. So anytime that he can, you know, provide some defense uh, on some other guys, uh, someone like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has, you know, been ripping and roaring through the postseason and uh, looking like a gem, uh, you know, like, anything that Danny can give them in that, in that light. And if, you know, it's a big shot or if it's a, you know, a big time steal, whatever it may be, Danny's the perfect guy to fill that role. Um, but Here, here's the two yeah. big questions I have from the Atlanta side. Okay. In what game, and I'm going to say it's going to happen, but in what game is somebody going to take a swing at Gallinari for some of the things that he's doing? Uh, Joel Embiid almost got ejected. Almost that he pushed half. him hard because he did. He got him in the back pretty good. He well, did. Gallinari he was asking for it a little bit because of the previous possession. And then on that one too, where he got him in the back and then, you know, Embiid wasn't going to take it. And I'm not saying it's going to be a B that hits him and hopefully he doesn't. And I, I'm not, I'm not encouraging a punch, but somebody on the Sixers is going to retaliate against Danilo if he keeps us up because I know what he's doing. He's trying to get under Embiid's skin, and plus he wants to play him physical and everything like that. But I'm telling you, somebody on the Sixers, this keeps up, is going to have to stand up and protect Joel, and they're going to have to, you know, put him on his butt. Um, and then the other thing is, too, with the series going to Atlanta, I'm going to be curious to see how is this game or how are these games going to be officiated because Trey Young – is going to try to get to the line like a lot more. And I want to see what do they let him do, especially on his home court. I'm going to give you two names for that retaliation. Okay. Yes. Mike Scott. Yeah. And Dwight Howard. If the you Dwight re- one if, will if be you pricey someone, then. someone to give a, a message out. Those two guys are very rugged. Uh, they have that reputation to, to be a physical and to be kind of in your face. So um, that would be my prediction if they do try to send a message to Gallo. Uh, but to Gallo's credit, by the way, he's he, he's come out and really helped that bench. And uh, again, someone that we're not giving enough attention to is Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter uh, really stepping up, especially, you know, with the DeAndre Hunter news and, and always, again, staying ready. That's what this is all about. Guys that are really taking advantage of the opportunity when they were getting like 15 to 20 minutes just even a couple weeks ago. So, you know, I, I love that, that aspect of it all, but this is a really fun series and I'm looking forward to see what, what gets brought to the table um, when they're in Atlanta. That crowd's going to be electric because it should be, I mean, I mean th- that area 
has been so desperate for the Hawks to be good. And even in the past when they've been okay, like they don't really show up for that team. But when they're good, they'll come out. And they love Trey. They love this team. Um, they're like so many other markets where everybody's desperate to get out and support your team now, especially since the crowds are opening up and everything. So I, I think it's going to be uh, quite the raucous crowd in Atlanta for games three and four. It should be. It should be. Over to the other East matchup, Brian. Oh, boy. So uh, thus far, we did our live show last Friday. We made our predictions. Uh, I, I don't know what right. happened. I, I said I wanted to pick the Bucks, but I was picking the Nets. And thank God I made that prediction. I don't know what happened, Brian. I don't know what happened. I have zero clue. The Bucks have completely reverted to 2020. I don't know why. They were a completely different version of themselves against the Heat. I see a lot of people saying they beat up on a, a Heat team that, you know, didn't have chemistry and didn't have the right amount of games to be together. No, no. They changed. They changed everything. They've gone completely back to the bubble against this Nets team. I completely think so, back. Some of it is... I think they feel a frustration in that the Nets have so much firepower, even without James Harden. And, you know, and you know, that's he, why it's overkill. That was, he, why, I mean, but good for them. He goes but out like, so quickly in that game, and we're all sitting going, "Oh no, this series is going to change on a dime," and that's awful. Harden's already out. I mean, how like, hilarious he, our thinking is. By and, the way. and then, you oh know, no, they lost. They they lost James Harden because you know that's an MVP caliber player, and rightfully so. But uh, you know, they kind of have this guy, uh, Kevin Durant. And uh, they kind of have this guy, uh, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> they, don't know this stuff. they have they have so many shooters and so many guys that hit at a high percentage. And like game one, they win by eight. It felt like they were going to win by more than that. They should have. Um, you know, and then game two was just a mauling. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, break out the white towel, you know, for that one. Oh, yeah. But it, I, I just think that they they are having trouble getting stops and that frustration and like they went they tried to do everything they could in that game one you know and, and you know Giannis comes out he puts up a 34 you know Middleton was not good in that game he what six Middleton has been awful in the series He's been awful you know which is so I mean it, against the heat he looks so good he and needs then some now home cooking he's having you know he's having some trouble he can't get going you can see frustrations from that standpoint that their number two scorer can't get going and they can't get stops especially at crucial times and that carried over to game two to where next thing you know the Bucs are doing everything like you said they're doing bubble ball they're they're not moving the ball around they're hanging their heads and the Nets are just just lighten them up and, and you could see it just in their demeanor. It just changed like out of the gate, you know, in that game too, then that's the nets could sense it and they just went for it. And then the, to me, you know, as much as you talk about Durant and you talk about Kyrie and you know, obviously they're the two big cogs in that engine, but the guy that's really been setting the tone in the series to me is Blake Griffin. No question. No question. He's diving all over the floor. He's dunking He's again. Scrapping. He's, you know, well, it's funny because these, these dunks are, you know, all coming from the baseline. They're, they're all when, you know, the attention is drawn to, to the guys 
up top, whether it's KD, Kyrie, whoever has the, the ball and is handling it, uh, someone comes to double or they're trying to trap. And Blake's got a runway to the to the bucket. Well, he had one that the ball just came off the rim and he came straight Oh, down that one was nasty. And yes. he, you know, double that, pumped that, bam, you know, put that one down. And then he oh, yeah. that. And then, but the one from the baseline, the one-hander where he was above the rim and just threw that down. And I was just like, Oh my goodness, man. Oh, he like, tricked. He tricked I, a lot of people. I mean, we, we, we sat there, you know, we had that stat before he joined the Nets. Like he had gone, what was it? Like over a year without dunking. And then, you know, we're all wondering like, okay, what does he have left in the tank? And, you know, we're seeing it now because he's just throwing his body out there every which way, but maybe he's lost, you know, 10 or 15% of that athleticism at his peak. But that dude's still way above the rim when he wants. What about a shooting? Game one was all about Blake Griffin making threes. Yes. <laughs> like, which is I, ridiculous. I mean, he had four of nine threes, and like he had you know, he had an 18-14 in the first game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, game two, seven and eight. That's all they needed, though. I mean, he had three or four shots. He only needed to play 26 minutes. Yeah. Here's another crazy thing, too. So game two, Durant Irving played 34 and 33 minutes. So they didn't have to put extra minutes on there. And the, I, you look at the minutes from game one, tight game. Kyrie's playing 45. Durant's playing 40. Blake Griffin's playing 35. Joe Hears played 34. Yep. Go over to the Bucks game one, tight game. Drew Holiday played 37. Middleton, 36. Giannis, 35. That's a problem. And you're in a tight game and your top guys aren't playing 40 minutes because that's what Nash did. He said, those are my top guys. They're going to play heavy minutes. The Bucks, Coach Bud, he's still doing that whole 35, 36 minute thing. What are you saving them for? What? I don't know. What? What are you saving them for? I'm going to bat for you, man. I've been going to bat for you this year. You've been showing a willingness to change. You've been showing a willingness to Try something different. And here you are in the biggest series since you've been back into the, the conference finals. And you're doing it again. How are you doing it again? I'm not going to count them out yet. They're, you know, they are the, the big say, this big saying is, you know, a playoff series doesn't start till a team, both teams play at home, right? Until somebody wins on the road. Yeah. Until someone wins on the road. I, but at the same time, like I, me. I, it's a bad joke, but I felt like I had to do it the other day when they were, when the bucks were getting, you know, stomped. And I know we're going to talk about coaches later on the podcast. Cause there's a lot going on with it, but I literally said, I go, so who's going to get the Milwaukee job when they fire coach bud. And I'm not saying I want to see that, but it's just like, you're doing the same old things. It's, it's not just him. It's obviously some of the guys in the court, but like there's these adjustments that need to go on. Like I said, in that game one, where you're still not, you know, playing guys the heavy minutes here in, the, in a, a very important playoff game. And there there are no other moves roster-wise that they can really do. I mean, they have a good roster. In. They have a really they, good roster. They do. And they're they're locked into these guys. So the only other move that they can really make is coaching. They've proven. I know it's regular season, but they've proven that they can beat this team, which is why it's maddening to watch. And it does it does start with uh chris middleton I, I did an article on basketballnews.com you can check it out right now it's going to be good until you know game three starts in milwaukee 
talking about just how horrible he's been offensively. It, and just as a team, these Bucks offensively have just gone one and done, one and done. There's no swing swings. There's no driving kicks. They don't know what to do because they've been getting all this space above the paint. So they've been stuck with these pull-ups, but they've been awful on these pull-ups. They're shooting 32.8% on their pull-up field goals this series. They've taken 33 of them per contest. That tells you the story. If they're taking the, those are the majority of their shots. They're not getting to the paint. They're not shooting the three. Well, they're getting all these pull-up shots. And most of these pull-up shots are not after passes. These are after trying to break their man down and just shooting. Chris Middleton's guilty of it. Drew Holiday is guilty of it. Giannis, even though he's playing okay, he's, I don't know if he should get like he's all the He's super flag. guilty of it. Every, every time but I see Giannis take a three, especially when it's like dribble, dribble, dribble he's around. He's taking what they're giving him, though. He's right. taking what they're giving him. But that's not what he needs to do. I mean, he, he, toasted, he toasted DeAndre Jordan yeah. in the regular season with that same exact strategy. He's just missing the shots right now. Right. But I mean, I just think that what, I mean, sometimes he can't just settle for that. Sometimes he's just got to put his head down and force the issue and get in the paint. You, you know, know what it's called? Get the foul. You, you know, you know what it's called when it looks like Giannis is indecisive getting these, these looks like you can see it when he has the ball that he is thinking and thinking yeah. and thinking and thinking more. It's, it's almost like he's timid to go inside in the half court. When the you thing- get him out on the run, he's going to he's going to just completely kill you. He will do the same if you get him off the ball and you get him the passes in the short roll, you know, when you make him a playmaker like that or if you make him a cutter, you know, whatever he may do, whatever it may be. But when he goes iso and when he is trying to be this ball handler, he's not a point guard. He's more of a center than a point guard, and I don't know how that isn't through the organization's head yet or coach bud whoever it is but it's just so much of this one and done you know one pass shoot or nothing zero passes shoot brian you know how many passes a game they are averaging right now 208 208 last round they had 253 and that's still not that great no but at the same time you need to pass the ball against the Nets. You know why? Because the Nets are beatable. The Nets right. are very beatable as a I defensive mean, team. What do we talk about all season? Like, yeah, look at all the offensive firepower they got, but they're weak defensively. So attack them, move the ball on them, make them scurry around. You can get them off balance. They, yes. It's and not I mean, like they're all like these youngsters. Like, sure, you, you got Nicholas Claxton and Bruce Brown is awesome. He's been so good in this series and he's been great in the playoffs. Uh, but with the exception of those guys, they don't have a rim protector. So no. why are you settling? Well, that's the whole thing. You you made the point. There's two things that are going on here, I think, in that, you know, they're not passing the ball enough and they're settling for too many jumpers rather than forcing the issue and getting in the paint. And I think that's what you've got to see now is they've got to move the ball better. I think that's that's number one. But then I want to see more guys cutting. And then I also think that they need to push the ball off makes and misses. They're not they doing to it. Get out and they've got to run. They've got to. They've got to force the tempo. And I know you can sit there and say, well, that's that's Brooklyn style as well because they'll just run and chuck. But I think that's Milwaukee style. 
And I'd, I'd rather try to get it like that a little bit and play a little bit more in your rhythm than what's going on. So when I look at this, and that's a really good point when you say push off of misses, and you're not going to get many misses at this point. Uh, maybe the, you know, the wind changes a little bit when you're in Milwaukee. But Drew Holiday, what I've noticed about him, and it, it hasn't happened too much because he hasn't had the ball too, too often. Uh, but when he's gotten down the floor, instead of attacking the cup with odd man rushes, he's pulling up for three. Chris Middleton takes the ball, pushes, pulls up for three. No, go inside. <laughs> go inside. You, you, you've got all of this, you know, solid talent that is just overthinking. I think it's overthinking. I think they realize what the stage is. I think they realize who they're up against. And they're pressing a little. That's that's what I got. Uh, you know, Bryn Forbes, he's probably going to have some 25-point game in one of these game threes or game fours. Uh, you know, I, I think that they could utilize Bobby Portis a little bit more. Uh, PJ Tucker, yeah, obviously you use him for his defense and you try to get a corner three or two out of him. Uh, but I think that it starts it, there. And then it's I come down to the big three and especially Middleton. And it, it, it also comes down to coach, Bud. it's, it's killing me, Brian. <laughs> you know, you know what the thing that literally I hunched over in my seat when I saw this. So the nets come out and they're just firing, firing, firing. They go up by 17. What's Coach Bud's response with four minutes to go in the first quarter? Oh, I've got to take out Giannis. What? What? And it's not like Giannis is a guy who's going to get winded. How, or, how I mean, on just, earth is that? Is the, He's arguably the best athlete and the best conditioned athlete in the NBA. Someone said... They're like Coach Bud's tweeting, teaching, teaching the, uh, treating this like it's a it's a Tuesday in November against Sacramento. That's the way he's coached everything, and that this is one of the big criticisms against him last year. And why he didn't some do people this against wondered, Miami? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't I know. Have zero clue, Brian. He's got you his rotations need- down, and he doesn't want to change them from what they were in the regular season to the postseason. It's like Bud's got the devil. And the angel on his shoulders, right? I mean, he's the angel, the angel on his right is whoever was coaching against the Heat and whoever was coaching in the regular season. I mean, and his rotation the- in game one was still 10 deep. Now, mind you, yeah. NASA's played, and but he only played four minutes, but he's still going nine deep. And there are times where I'm like, okay, you want to go nine deep? That's that's about as deep as I'd go, but man. You've got you, your bench guys are going 17, 14, 20, 22. Like, that's just too much. Jeff Teague playing 14 minutes. That's too much. I'm just going to tell you, Jeff Teague shouldn't be playing more than seven minutes. Then a lot of people bring up the Austin Rivers thing there, too, because Austin was supposedly going to sign there. We all know he's in Denver now yeah. and producing pretty well. Now, mind you, Jeff uh, Teague but- played seven minutes in game two, and we saw what happened there. I mean, if you throw him out there for seven, eight minutes, I'm not going to bicker. But yeah, I'm not, yeah if you're going to give somebody a blow, but yeah, you can't put him out there for 15 minutes. And the all bench lineups, stop him, stop him. Oh, one yeah. of Drew, one of Chris, one of Giannis. One of them has to be on the floor at all times. I'd almost argue two of them need to be on the court at the same time. I, I would too against Brooklyn. I understand that. Yeah. But again, it's like he's got the angel on his shoulders, whoever the guy is that coached against Miami that they swept, and then. 
There's the devil right there on the left, looking at him, saying, that was your finals. That was your finals. Now go back to do what you were doing before. Go back. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. But game three should be a doozy because that's the biggest game that they're going to have since his first season coaching. Mm-hmm. And it very well might be, <laughs> it might, if it doesn't go their way, it might be the last first game at home of the series that he coaches. But doesn't it also feel as frustrating as it's been to watch the Bucks in this series? It's starting to feel more and more to me like the Nets are a team of destiny. Like this is the team we thought they were when they all joined up, especially when once they got hardened and we said, who's going to beat them? There's so much offense or so much this, but then we didn't really get a true taste of it during the regular season because so many different guys were injured at so many different times. I mean, they still played really, really well, but we still didn't see it all put together. And we're saying going, okay, what's it going to be like? Is the chemistry going to be off? Can they stay healthy? Um, Can they play good enough defense? And then now they're in the series that we thought was going to be a dogfight against the Milwaukee Bucks far from over. But in these first two games, they've had their way and they're without one of their big three and they're not having a problem. We're not, we're not seeing these huge defensive liabilities. Their offense is still clicking unbelievably well. And it's, it's just really starting to feel like, yeah, this is the Nets team that, that we thought they were going to be. And this is the best team. And this is the team that's going to win the championship. And going right back to it, man. <laughs> KD. KD is just, he's unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. After an Achilles injury, all of that stuff. Uh, he very well might be the best player in the playoffs right now. With the exception of one other guy, and we'll probably get to that. Uh, but Kyrie also just. He's a show in of itself. I say it all the time. Uncle Drew putting, you know, Drew Holiday gives him issues. Uh, but Kyrie's got some wizardry that nobody else in this league has. And no one in this league probably will ever have. Um, he, he's, he's a treat. But uh, so the first two teams, or the, uh, the first two games, <laughs> the, the, the home team one, that didn't happen for the, for the, the Clippers Mavs series. As we saw, uh, the Clippers ended up finally winning one at Staples Center. Uh, it was the biggest one. It was game seven. Saw what Kawhi Leonard did there. So they were off on very, very short rest. And this is the most recent game uh, that we can talk about. It was game one of Utah and the Clippers. And, you know, L.A. came out and they were looking sharp. They looked real sharp. Uh, it wasn't even Kawhi doing, you know, most of the stuff. It was, you know, the other guys. It was Luke Kennard, uh, whom Ty Lu has done an excellent job of managing. You know, a guy that was getting DNPs in round one until game six, games five, six, and seven. And he had them ready to go, ready to shoot, all of that stuff. You know, Luke came out and, and, and looked really sharp uh, against the Jazz in that first half. He looked uh, sharp know, he, on offense, oh, but yeah. late in the game, Donovan Mitchell did everything possible he could to target that guy, get switches and everything, and he took him to town. Oh, yeah. It was a tale of two halves. Uh, you know, like, like, like I said, like, 
you know, Luke came out in the first half, looked good. Uh, Rajon Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins, who hadn't played a playoff game to that point, looked really good. You know, Boogie looked real fresh, by the way. That was that might be something to pay attention to because he, he he got in the Rudy Gobert's head a little bit. Um, you know, I thought that that Zubats had some really strong minutes. You know, those guys were the ones that were doing the work. And then you had Donovan Mitchell's you know, 20 something point quarter, whatever the hell it was. It was beautiful. Um, that was amazing to watch him. I it mean, was so fun. 45 points in that game, but especially, you know, in, in the fourth quarter when the game is back and forth and it's tight and he's just like, give me the ball. I got this. And just the precision that he ran that offense, picked apart the Clippers and was able to deliver was amazing. Yeah. So you know, he does that. And it's, again, it's awesome to hear the crowd, just the anticipation when someone puts a three up or, you know, you get a big block like you did from Rudy Gobert and then they go out and transition, they finish one, it's an and one. And then that place just explodes. Uh, but I, I just think this was a really, really solid win by the jazz. They had to do this because they were without Mike Conley. Um, but at the same time, I feel good if I'm the Clippers and let me revisit a rant that I had on Twitter last night. So we all know what the Clippers just went through in round one. Was it their fault? Yeah, it was. They probably underplayed a little bit against the Mavs, and they took them a little bit too lightly. But the facts are the facts. They went seven games. They had a day of rest before going to Utah, who had been off for nearly a week after a five-game series with the Grizzlies. And then I see they come and battle back, by the way. Paul George has a really good fourth quarter. He was shooting the ball fine. Yeah, he missed a couple, but he also made some very big shots. He also made some big, very big plays, like an offensive rebound. And, uh, you know, again, I completely understand why, you know, people feel the way they do about Paul George when you come out and nickname yourself playoff P. I understand it. I get it. I get it. I do. But I feel like there's a little bit too much that comes his way. I think that he's been fine in the playoffs. I know he's not shooting the ball well. Yes, he's not shooting the ball well. But if you look at the rate at which he, which he is driving to the rim, didn't happen last night. Guess what? Probably because there was some flat legs. You saw it on every jump shot the Clippers freaking took, especially in that second half. He had some tired legs. He didn't. Didn't drive yesterday. He also had to adjust because guess what? The Mavericks did not have a Rudy Gobert. So you got to kind of feel that out. He was settling a little bit. Kawhi was also settling. Kawhi looked like a human in that game. But I still see these takes and it just grinds my gears. Saw someone literally immediately, immediately after Rudy Gobert blocked the shot. By the way, great. Great saving block there uh, to to get Mark uh, Marcus Morris to miss that. Uh, just a really good defensive play by Rudy Gobert, someone who who is always said to not be able to defend in space outside of the paint. Well, he did it there, and that was a risky move to to go for a block because you know those officials always have some sort of uh, you know reason to call a foul in those big spots. But the point is, after the game was over. 
they were focusing on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard passing the ball out of that situation. And I have no idea how Twitter's attention span is that of a six-year-old. I have no iota of an idea. Zero. You're telling me after Kawhi Leonard just did what he did literally two days ago, four days ago, combined an entire weekend that this guy doesn't want the shot. How many skip Baylesses can there be out there? How many of you have the emotional intelligence and the ability to process something without context? Because it's just, oh my gosh, I, there was a vein in my head that was just popping. I was just like, is this really the take right now? This is the take. I, I get it with, with Paul George. I, I get it. Um, he, he probably should have took, took that three, but he still didn't have that much space. And there was five seconds left in the shot clock. So yeah, I'm going to try and find a better shot too. But it just absolutely made my blood boil. You clearly saw the jump shots were flat. They were having a tough time staying in front of Donovan Mitchell. They were having a tough time staying in front of Joe Ingles. By the way, Joe Ingles, he's the one that started uh, his legend against these Clippers four or five years ago. Can't remember, but that's beside the point. And then people are going after Ty again. It's like people are, are you ever see the movie 50 First Dates? It's like they're 10 second Tom. And, and I just, I know it's more of a reflection on, on Twitter than it is sports fans and stuff like that. But God, it just bothers me because if it was one or two people that, that had these, these ridiculous opinions, then I would, uh, I would probably ignore it. I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, that's not, that's not the majority. But then I just see all these people talking about this and I'm like, what the hell? Where did this come from? Did you not just see what he did to the Mavs? Did you not see that? It happened 48 hours ago. What is wrong with you? I have no idea. I don't know where to start. I, I it just, it, it's just so, so disappointing and, and so frustrating to see this stuff. Brian, talk me down the ledge. I don't know where it comes from, but it's just, it's something else. It's something else. I'll tell you where it comes from. Number one, people love making fun of others when they fall rather than propping them up when they do something good. And that's, and you know, that that's the, the negativity aspect. And that's cut you that, off. That's part of social media. Yeah, that's, that is. That, that, is. That, that, that is. I'm not expecting them to like right. praise them. But I'm saying but, that, but, that that's the hot take culture that we're in right now. I think part of it is too. Not only do people love jumping on Paul George, but everything that went into Kawhi Leonard and Paul George joining up, the fact that Kawhi wanted to go to LA, he, you know, got, you know, the thunder to give up on Paul George for, you know, for that huge trade. So that way that was the guy that he wanted to partner up with all the superlatives that went with that going, they're going to take over LA. The Clippers are going to be totally different. How is anybody going to beat this team? They're the favorites to win the championship last season. Um, all that went into that. And to see them bow out of the playoffs the way they did, you know, last year, especially up 3-1, then lose to the Nuggets. So there is all of that as well. And 
then you add, put it to this season and people are still going to look at that going, Oh, you guys, you want to talk the big game. You almost lost to the Mavericks in the first round, you know, Kawhi had to come up with two unbelievable performances, you know, and they took care of business here. They are in round two. And, you know, like you said, I think they looked a little bit tired. Kawhi didn't force the issue as much when it came on offense. And, you know, Paul definitely did struggle, you know, on offense. He was struggling shooting the ball. Uh, we'll see if that, that continues, but it's part of a track record thing. And then people are going to get on them about that. And you know what? That's what I wondered about when it came to the series against the Mavericks is, are they going to be able to step up mentally and overcome, you know, all the stuff that comes against them, they get picked on about, and they did, you know, they were down three, two in that series and they stepped up and they won the last two games and they moved on. So here we are again, game one, and it's a tight game and it comes down to the possession at the end. They're trying to find an open look. And they're passing the ball back and forth because nobody's getting an open look. You get shot blocked. They lose the game. You know, here's the the thing. Framed as passing the shot up though. I know if it's not open, but I mean, that's the same thing like with LeBron. Okay. Or, or anybody else like make the right basketball play. You're right. Because people Mm -hmm. were like, why didn't the superstar take that shot? Like people used to get on Kobe because like he'd shoot over a double team, but then if he missed, like, why is he taking that shot over a double team? Why isn't he finding the opening guy, open guy? But then if he doesn't take that shot and he passes to somebody else, they missed the shot. Why isn't the superstar? Why isn't Kobe taking that shot? I mean, how many times have you heard that about LeBron? Yeah. Why isn't LeBron taking that shot? Why is he, why is he passing the ball there? And that was pre-Twitter. Yes. It's a damn if you do, damn if you don't situation. That's all. That's what it is. All that being said, good win for the Jazz. Yes. But the Clippers only lost by three. That's what I'm saying. And they didn't get the best out of either of their superstars. Right. And that's why I don't know why the the reaction was what it was. Because people don't look at it that way. They just look at the in the moment. I called that down the middle on Twitter. I know. (laughs) I said the Clippers looked really good in the first half, but. You know, those I know, second I half legs. Out. I pointed it out because you said, I think second half legs are coming. And then when that happened, I literally retweeted you and I was just like spooky, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, let me bring up this point, okay? Because this is kind of breaking down the game a little bit. And, and tell me if you thought this was interesting, okay? Reggie Jackson, starting for the Clippers. He got in foul trouble. He only played 17 minutes, okay? Kawhi got in foul trouble too. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Rondo played 28 minutes. Now, some of that is because Jackson did get in foul trouble, especially late in the game. But when he fouled out, there was still, what, seven, eight minutes left to go in the game, something like that. I want to, I'm want i thinking off the top of my head. They went to Rondo, and they stayed with him the rest of the way. Terrence Mann only played eight minutes, and Pat Bebb only played six minutes in this game. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that, especially when it came to Mann. Now, yeah, yeah, especially because of the lift that he gave them in mm-hmm. the Mavs series. Uh, I get that. Because um, I thought they would tighten up the rotation a little bit. Like, say what you will, but, you know, Cousins played this for four minutes. It's like, ooh, look at that. There, there's DeMarcus. Um, but, like, if you don't play Bev and you don't play Cousins, you know, but you play man some more, you're down to a nine-man rotation because you're getting minutes out of Kennard now. Um, but, yeah, it's... I was a little bit surprised that they leaned that heavily on Rondo in that game. As a stout defender of, of Ty Lue, I will say this in observing how he goes about, about things um, in these, these series. 
game one is always uh, kind of experimental, uh, kind of yes. see what the other team's doing, what the schemes are, all that stuff, uh, and then we'll figure out the rotation there. He's not going to play 11 guys next game. I think this was just literally out of necessity. Again, to the point, the context of them having coming off a, a game seven uh, from, you know, Sunday. So and, and I'm somebody that's, that's been that. behind Rondo as well. I was just a little bit surprised by that. Um, mm-hmm. Just watching that where the, the minutes went and, I don't know how much of a difference maker would make, especially if, you know, if he was healthy, it'd be different, but like Serge Ibaka not playing this game, he's not going to play in game two. Um, and we'll see if he has any kind of effect on this series because he's been so banged up, you know, going into the playoffs so far. Um, and he was supposed to be a huge difference maker for this team. And I mean, I, I really thought that he would be a huge part, but like the injuries are hitting him at the wrong time. Um, and we'll see if he even plays in the series. Maybe maybe he will once it shifts back to LA, but he's definitely not playing in game two. And then on the flip side, Conley is going to be, looks like he's going to miss game two as well with his hamstring injury. Ugh, that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. You want to talk about an injury that's mistimed and that's a huge one. That's a mm-hmm. huge injury for them. It is. It is. Uh, let's talk about the jazz a little bit though, before we get to the last series on um, Bowie on Bogdanovich again, I said this on Friday, the Bogdanovi are taking over the world. They're taking over the world. Doesn't matter what you do to try and stop him from shooting. The Bogdanovi, yes. Yes. (laughs) Shooting threes, shooting threes, shooting threes. They're they're just such good scorers. And, and, you know, in the case of Bogdan over in Atlanta, he is an insanely good playmaker. Uh, Bojan's more of your... If this guy gets hot, get out of the get the hell out of the way. Like that that describes that Boyan. And then Bogdan, as I refer to him as the cooler. Game one, what did he do, Brian? What did he do? Hit the big shot when Philly was making the big run. But um Utah, I just when I watch them play, there is just such an energy about that offense. Swing, swing, swing all around the perimeter. Well, you they know, shoot the ball when, so quick as well. They do. They have quick release guys. That's what's awesome. Uh, you know, Joe Ingles is a, is a solid playmaker. And, it you know, that's exactly why you have depth. You know, I thought that Derek Favors gave them some huge minutes uh, yesterday in, in doing what he did, um, you know, a, against guy like Ivica Zubats and, you know, trying to protect the paint from, you know, uh, an attacking Marcus Morris, whatever it might have been. But they feel so shorthanded without Conley right now. I mean, obviously, they win game one. They get the the huge performance from from Mitchell. Clarkson kept shooting. And he kept shooting. I mean, he was 6 of 18, but, you know, he, he had shot a couple 14 of big threes. Shots. I love it. Yeah, he shot 14 threes. He got 18 points. But, like, you know, they're only playing nine right now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they get 25 out of the bench, but 18 of that is Clarkson. And they... You know, with Conley, they've got to get probably some more out of those guys, especially more efficient numbers yes. out of Clarkson. And they need to get a little bit more, you know, out of their starters. Um, you know, you don't like need the, efficient minutes from Clarkson. Well, he, he's, well, he's, I, he's an exception to the, yeah, the rest, I think you can say. You don't expect Joe Ingles to shoot three of 12 and one of eight from three. But, like, they're really missing an offensive weapon in Conley. And... Uh, you know, they're just going to have to get by for at least another game, maybe even more. We don't know how long he's going to be without. So 
I'm, I'm curious to see who's going to be that piece that, that is going to step up in his absence. Because I think, you know, they get by in this one with that superhuman performance by Mitchell. Maybe he does it again. But I expect the Clippers to be better in game two and going forward. And they're going to need some other guys to step up. Yep. No, they will. They will. And that's why I'm looking forward to the series a lot. Uh, Brian, you, you know what my pick was before this. And, I you know, I continue to stick to that that pick um you picked the clippers i picked the jazz i did because you picked the mavs <laughs> but i said if the mavs would have won that i would have picked the jazz <laughs> uh but no yeah that i still i still hold on to that and i still feel really good about that uh especially after watching game one you should so last series and this is perhaps the, the probably the most fun if you just enjoy basketball purely pure basketball there's no I feel like there's a very good uh, energy about these two teams. Um, each of them have their own strengths and their, you know, their go-to guys, but just the teams from top to bottom are just really strong. Um, you know, Monty versus Michael Malone. Uh, that is just an excellent coaching matchup. We, you know, we see that Devin Booker is still ridiculously confident. Chris Paul's shoulder is looking healthier by the day. Uh, Jake would, Crowder started to find it. Yeah. Okay, but then on the other side, that, you know, Chris Paul taking over offensively, like shooting the ball yeah, would be something that we would see in this series, considering what we saw, you know, in round one. What I loved seeing about this, though, was Mikel Bridges being more aggressive. Yes. And he came out and played his best playoff game, uh, at least on the offensive end uh, of his uh, short, his, his early career yet. <clears throat> um, and that's huge. That's huge. When you get the, the quote unquote third or fourth guy, whoever usually probably toggles between him and, and um, you know, I'd say scoring wise, you know, Deandre Ayton, but it's uh it's really nice to see him branch out like that because he had his hands full with LeBron James for, for six games, you know, and uh, he took the opportunity to come out and be aggressive um, against the Nuggets in game one. And uh, it was efficient. It was good basketball. He was getting steals, blocking a shot, moving the basketball, running the floor in transition. It was just all beautiful. It was beautiful. And I think that that will be someone that the Nuggets key in on. We're recording this before the game happens, so we're not going to know what happens before this. So apologies. Um, but, you know, we brought over the the uh, matchup in the backcourt and how Faku and Austin Rivers and some semblance of Monte Morris are going to have to really do a lot to, you know, beat a backcourt of a Chris Paul and a Devin Booker. Well, it sounds like Will Barton is going to play. Yes, that's saying, good. Saying because they said he's going to go through, you know, warm-ups and all signs point to him playing. Glad to hear it. That's awesome news. That's awesome news. And mm -hmm. um, they need to get P.J. Dozier back too. Uh, but you can see right away that, you know, Faku Kompazo is going to be an irritant. He's going to really get under someone's skin. Um, he is a different type of player um, when it comes to these playoff series. 
you know, there's always that one, you know, I actually saw a funny joke on Twitter and I wish I could credit someone because I, I don't want to steal this, uh, but I saw the perfect joke. It was like, we hate an Argentinian guard must be son's playoff time again. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to, to be serious though, he was, he was doing a really good job in that first half, you know, uh, Joker, you know, by his standards played a pedestrian game, right? He didn't shoot the ball well. And I thought Phoenix did a good job in forcing him into taking, you know, having to work for shots. Mm -hmm. But the big thing that they did is they cut down the passing lanes and he only had three assists. And I think that's what they want to do. They're like, okay, make make him a scorer. If he scores 35 or he scores 40, so be it, but make him do it on a lot of shots and don't make him into a playmaker. It's a good. It's a good point. It's a good point because, you know, you don't want Michael Porter to come out and score twenty-two or whatever the hell it was against uh, Portland in a first quarter, right? So you know they key in on him. Uh, you know, you obviously have Aaron Gordon who's playing very confident basketball right now. Uh, that you probably don't want to see him, you know, get going because these guys like once they see it go through the net, they're pretty damn confident they're not known for their defensive chops guys they're an offensive team they are up and down and uh they get them up so you know off the bench i think that uh they can use a little bit more from monte morris you know he had an off game but again that might be from fatigue too because they just came off of the game seven they absolutely Um, like more off their bench i mean that's why it's so important for for michael green was the only one that played with like like some yeah. heart and heart and that at least in the second half, that's right. when you saw the deflation come. This is where like the backcourt of the nuggets, is that going to catch up with them? And then can they get enough out of their bench as well? Those are going to be the two things to look at. I think you getting Barton back. And if he is healthy and there's so many different things like chemistry, timing, his win, all these different things. So we'll see how that plays, but it's big having him back. But that's what we've talked about. The Nuggets are deficient in their backcourt and their bench. And it's a big deal having him back. And we'll see, you know, what he brings to the table. But it's also going to be, you know, on the thing that drives Michael Malone crazy is the hit and miss defense that the Nuggets bring to the table. It is. It is. Um, again, I'm not going to look too far into it. Just again, because they're coming off of a game seven as well. Yeah. Wouldn't be fair to, to you know, say that about the Clippers and not say it about the Nuggets. The difference, though, is that the Suns are still coming off of a game six. They didn't have quite as much rest as, you know, say the Jazz did. Uh, but that's something that I pay attention to there. Also, the Suns, you know, the Phoenix is rocking right now. That place is electric. Again, another incredible environment that that we have going on in the postseason right now. Uh, I want to go back again, though. DeAndre Ayton is just playing efficient. He's playing great defense. He's getting rebounds. He's not trying to do too much, taking care of the basketball. This this kid is is really finding his stride. And if I may tease, if I may tease, I'm going to have a piece coming up on basketballnews.com later this week on how different it is for big men to develop in the NBA versus guards and forwards and why it might have taken a few years for DeAndre Ayton to find this niche and to really come out and do what he's been doing. Guys, he just held Nikola Jokic to 22 points and, you know, nine rebounds. That's not Nikola Jokic, you know, like he, 
Nikola Jokic is someone that can put up 35 and 15, 35 and 20, um, especially in this playoff environment coming off of his MVP announcement. DeAndre Ayton up for the challenge in that one. He was up for the challenge against LA. I don't, I don't know if this is going to regress at any time because he's just playing with some very, very high confidence and he is, is really thriving in the moment. And the other thing is too, I think that in these playoffs, he's really figured out who he is. He's not a guy that needs the ball in the post. He's a guy that's going to find his way around the rim to get buckets, whether it's off pick and rolls off offensive rebounds. He's not worried about that. And like, he's going to put himself in the right position to where he can get his points, but he's going to do everything efficiently because he's still shooting what over 75% during the playoffs so far. And if you look at that performance from game one for the starters, four of the five starters for the Suns scored over 20 points. You're talking about Bridges going eight for 12, eight and nine for 13. Chris Paul went eight for 14. Devin Booker went eight for 12. And then the other guy is Jay Crowder, who only shot five of 13, but he did hit three threes. And that's been such a big difference maker for them in going back to games five and six against the Lakers. And I was going to say that one. probably has to hurt to say. Yeah, it does. You know, that dude salsa dancing you know, on the Staples Center. Next thing you know, he's, you know, the Suns are moving on. But, like, the difference that he brings to the table when he's hitting shots, because you saw the beginning of that L.A. series. He looked, you know, like he didn't want to shoot. He was missing everything, like not even close. And then something flipped, you know, and then now – when he can hit shots, it opens up so many other things for that team. And they're, they're so versatile in so many different ways on offense because this is, you know, like Booker can light you up at any time, but they can also just kind of share the wealth they need to because they've got other guys that can confidently hit shots. No question. No question. And, you know, when I look at this box score, you bring up the, you know, the four guys had 20 points or more. I'm looking at the usage percentage and nobody on that team had higher than a 23.7 usage percentage. And that was Devin Booker. So that means that they are sharing that basketball and it's a dangerous, dangerous thing when guys see what's working. And to the point that I brought up before the series even started, Tory Craig, big time off that bench going against his former team. Revenge series? Could it be? Who knows? How did how did he get signed for a little no money? How did somebody else not grab him? Ah, uh, you know he, he's he's another one of them Royce O'Neal types. You know, everyone can use a Tory Craig. Everyone can use a Royce O'Neal. Those glue guys are essential in these playoff environments. Essential. Yeah, I and mean, it's kind of. By the way, another one that slipped guys, but you know they took a chance and he's he's stepped up. He's performed. Yep. And by the way, another one that slipped through Milwaukee's hands there. Uh, they let him go early in the season and he uh, ended up over in Phoenix and for a very, very small price. So oh, he's making 1.7 million. Yep. There you go. There you go. All right, Brian, I think that does it for our playoff talk. Uh, before we, you know, we wrap up, we do want to get into a little bit of the talks uh, and news pieces that have come out uh, since, you know, it was a little bit quiet a few weeks ago. And then just all of a sudden in the last week and a half, things have just heated up. Um, so you can start us off wherever you want to go and, and we can sure. take it 
we can take it from there. So the big thing is obviously there's, there's coaching vacancies popping up left and right. We already knew, you know, about a couple of them um, over the last couple of weeks with so Brad Stevens, you know, moving over to the front office for the Celtics, Danny Ainge is out. So now the Celtics are looking for a head coach. Uh, the Blazers are looking for one Terry Stotts. You know, he's out this past week. The, the Orlando magic agreed to part ways with Steve Clifford. So we're going to the wording by the way, lately. <laughs> I love the agree to put What is ways. with the wording like, lately? Dude, he's fired. Okay. It's just like, you guys had a meeting and you're like, we want to develop young guys. And he's like, no, I want to win. And they're like, okay, we don't see eye to eye. Let's part ways. Um, and then the Pacers uh, fired Nick Bjorken uh, today. as expected. When I was on my walk, I was yes. on my walk. I got home and I found out that Bjorken got fired. Right. So like, what? So, so he's out. Um, now, since we've been taping, uh, Woj has dropped some information about oh. the Celtics job. Live reaction. Yes. So he says that Brad Stevens has started to get permission to speak to head coaching candidates, including assistants Chauncey Billups, Darvin Ham, and Charles Lee, both assistants with the Bucks, Jamal Mosley with the Mavericks, and Imi Udoku with the Nets. He goes on to say Stevens completed interviews with the Celtics assistant coaches in recent days, now has started reaching out to talk to outside candidates. The initial pool of candidates is expected to be expansive. The so, the picks that I would have out of that list would be Jamal Mosley and Ime Udoka. Ime Udoka, just from the pop tree, having played for him, having also assisted for him, and now mm-hmm. he's on this championship Brooklyn Nets uh, staff. And then with Jamal Mosley, that's just someone who's paid his dues. You saw when Rick Carlisle was out with the COVID, uh, how good of a job he did just keeping that team together. Uh, you know, how happy they were for him when he got his first win. Um, Jamal's been in, in the business for uh, quite some time and he's paid his dues as well. So yeah. those would be two names that I think would make a lot of sense there. I think Chauncey um, makes a lot of sense new. there as well too, because okay. he's a guy that he, you know, he played not too long ago as well. A little bit more of a high profile. Plus he was on TV. So maybe that could be somebody that could relate a little bit to their younger stars. A little bit was more. this his first year assisting? Yes. See, that's a risk to me still. It mm. is, but you know what? How many times have we seen that? We've seen it with Steve Kerr. We've seen it now with Steve Nash. Now, obviously, there's a lot of talent around them as well. But also, too, I think you look at guys that played in the league not too long ago, and then also point guards. There's, there's a lot of I, – I think there's – The point guards, obviously, with the way that they're controlling the games, I think some of that kind of bleeds over to coaching as well. Um, So that would be something I'd look at, too. Mind you, one guy that's not on this list that some people have kind of said, like, oh, he's getting some interest from the Celtics they want to talk to is Mike D'Antoni. That is not a fit. That is not a fit. That is not a fit. Not the current roster, at least. If they change it up, it might be. By the way, they're talking about Mike D'Antoni also uh, talking with the, the Magic, and I'm like, what what like no run and gun magic that that does not fit at all um you know there and then what was the other team was it indiana wasn't it uh might have been indiana were they talking about the blazers or something blazers would make a little sense but the thing you're trying to fix is defense so that's probably not gonna do the trick doesn't make sense now when it comes to the blazers you know, Damian Lillard immediately comes out and talks to Chris Haynes with Yahoo and also talked with The Athletic and said, like, i love for Jason Kidd to get this job because Chauncey Billups is somebody I'd be interested in as well. And, you know, Dame's going to have a little bit of a say. Mm-hmm. But then Jason Kidd immediately says, 
I do not want to be considered for this job. Um, I think some of that is that while Dame can say he wants him, I'm not sure if the GM there wanted Jason Kidd. Okay. So I think that's what that was. Um, that's part of it. So, I mean, Billups landing there wouldn't be surprised. And we'll see what other names that they, they talk with. And obviously, like I said, Dame's going to have, you know, a say in that. Um, David Vanderpool. Yes, absolutely. And Dame continue, is, I'm going to ring that bell until the hire's made. Dame has endorsed him before as well. Um, now, when it comes to the Blazers, former coach and Terry Stotts, he's already kind of tied to the Pacers job. They, you know, the, the word on the street is they want a veteran coach. That it, makes that, sense. That that, that is a fit. That sense. makes sense. Yes, because they don't want to do a huge roster uh, changeover like some people kind of wondered about. They they like their talent pool. They just feel like we got to be healthy. And, and you're getting TJ Warren back next year. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So you know, Stotts there makes a lot of sense to some extent. D'Antoni makes sense there as well. But I I I kind of mm. like Stotts. Yeah, I like I like that like fit. Stotts. Now, when it comes to the Magic. I think they need a younger guy. Like if, if you want to get somebody that, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody has been an assistant for a while, but somebody's going to be like Vanderpool. A, Vanderpool would be somebody. Some of the guys that are interviewing for the Celtics job that we name, I think they would be really good. Mm-hmm. I, I will throw out a name being somebody that lived in Orlando for a long time and was around that team. a lot. Ooh, I know where you're going. I know. And a going. guy, because for anybody that doesn't know the Orlando magic, like some other places, love staying within the family, shall we say. Um, And whether it's people that are on the team now or with the organization or in the past. And I'm going to tell you right now, one guy that I think is going to get interviewed, and I'm not saying it would be a bad hire, but I think they're really going to consider is former Magic Guard Daryl Armstrong, who's an assistant with the Mavericks, because he was part of the heart and hustle team that played, you know, over a decade ago. Um, Okay. So I would look at Daryl Armstrong as maybe a possibility because like I said, ownership, I mean, he, he was a fan favorite and ownership loves keeping, you know, looking at guys from the family. So I, I don't know if he's going to be a strong one because you never hear Daryl Armstrong coming up anywhere. Not (laughs) quite. Not, not, not right now. And that's actually that you threw me off there. I thought you were going to bring up another magic point guard in that. Scott Skiles. No, 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 that didn't work there the first time. No, did not work. Uh, no, I thought you were going to bring up Penny. Uh, I think Penny wants to stay in college, but um, I do too, yeah, but uh, that's the direction I thought you were going. I didn't know you were no, 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 Daryl Armstrong is somebody that's out there, just being around them, you know, okay. enough. Like, I, I'm I would watch for that, but we'll see if he gets an interview or whatever. Let's go back to the Jason Kidd thing because kids like. Here comes the theory. Oh, I'll throw my theory. I'm, I'm happy to throw that out. So kids already had two opportunities in the NBA. And when he became an assistant with the Lakers, what was everybody saying? Oh my God. You know, what are they doing? You know, hiring Frank Vogel. He just burned out with the magic. This isn't going to last. And he's set up for failure because he's got Jason Kidd as an assistant and they hired Jason before they hired Vogel. So like they get off to a slow start and they're just going to turn to Jason Kidd. And that was never going to be the case. They like Vogel. They still like Frank Vogel a lot. But Vogel only signed a three-year deal. And he's getting ready to go into year three. So 
Is he going to coach as a lame duck coach? Will they agree to an extension? Everybody is saying the right things right now when it comes to their front office and Rob Palenka um, saying, we like Frank. We want him to be here. Frank's like, yep, I want to stay here. I love this organization. I think he's going to end up signing a one or two year extension. I don't think he's just going to coach it out. That being said, I think one of the reasons why Jason Kidd was more than happy to take his name out of consideration from the Blazers job is because uh, not only did I think that the GM there wasn't sure if they wanted him, but I think he wants the Laker job. And I think he's putting positioning himself just in case Frank Vogel does not agree to an extension or something happens there, whether Vogel doesn't like the terms or the team doesn't want to, you know, give him more than one year, whatever it might be. And they just say, Hey, we're just going to agree to part ways right now that they will immediately turn to Jason Kidd. Um, I hope that's not the case because you hear all these rave reviews about Kidd, you know, as a communicator, um, the way that he's able to talk to the guys on the team. And these are all the players, by the way. Right. These all the, the players, players and everything. They like, oh, he's such a great guy and he communicates so well and all these different things. But that's a different role than being the head coach. When you're the head coach, you could be, you have to be the bad guy sometimes. When you're an assistant coach, you get to be the good guy almost all the time. Yep. And it's a different role. And I'm not saying that he's not a good coach. I, I don't think he will get another opportunity to be a head coach somewhere. I don't think it should be in LA. And I think he's a better assistant coach than he is a head coach because of what he does bring to the table. Is it wrong that I would trust Lyle, Lionel Hollins over him? No, it, it is not. And Lionel has been a really good head coach, you know, mm -hmm. in the past, but you know, Lionel now, how old is Lionel? Is he like, he's got to be getting up there. He's got to be getting up there. Something like that. I mean, remember he didn't play in the, he, he didn't coach in the bubble last year. Cause they said he was too old. They want to take that risk. He's yeah. 67 years old. He's going to be 68 in October. Um, and I'm not saying he couldn't do it. I don't know if he wants to do it or what the deal is. Um, I don't know where the Lakers would go. Um, I, like I said, I think Vogel is going to be there, whether he signs a one-year extension, two-year extension, whatever. I think he's earned at least a two-year extension. They want to give him $5 million a year. Go for it. I think that's probably what's going to happen, but never say never. And Jason Kidd, I think, is sitting there in the wings going, man, if something happens with Vogel, I'm right here. <laughs> and the players like me. Stir it up. Stir it up, Fritz. Stir so it up. I'm, I'm kind of looking at that, you know. Um, so. Yeah, we'll see. And there, I mean, I, I, we'll see what other jobs open up. I mean, I, I said this before. I think, you know, there's four jobs that are open right now. The fifth one could open up. If the Bucks get swept or if they only win one game, um, I could easily see Coach Bud out in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. No, there's no, there's no guarantees there. No well, guarantees Let me ask there. you this, okay? We don't know about that one yet. So the four that are available. Blazers, Pacers, Magic, Celtics. Which one do you think is the best job? Well, oh, that's tough. Because I'm looking at the talent on both the Celtics and the Pacers. And the Blazers, for that fact. And the asset. But I'm also seeing instability. I'm seeing that's tough. It's really because tough. do you, because you come in as you're not going to turn down a head coaching job with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the team. You're not going to do it. 
No. But you're also you're also thinking to yourself, okay, but Brad's never done this before as a GM. Can I chime in as with a president? breaking news? Oh, nice. Breaking news, Rudy Gobert is the defensive player of the year for the third time. All right, there we go. There we go. We'll get into the awards that that we'll wrap the show up that way. But the, the problem I, with I, the I, Celtics, I got I got to pick the Celtics. The, the problem with the Celtics and the Blazers are they are they are limited in the moves they can do. The Blazers even more so. With the Celtics, they do have that huge trade exception, that twenty-eight million dollar trade exception. Doesn't it expire? At, hasn't it expired? By it now? doesn't expire until like um, ever. <laughs> no, like next fall, something like that. Maybe right before the season or something. Okay. But um, don't hold me to that. I should look it up. I'm looking it but, up. Go ahead. Go please ahead. Do. But um, they can use it this offseason, obviously. Because they, they have a year for it. And remember, they they created that that trade exception right before the season. August. Yeah, so they have until August. So they they, they got some time. Um, but... Uh, so, I mean, they've got that. The Blazers are really hamstrung with what they're going to do. They're already up against the tax as well, but they do have Damian Lillard. Um, you know, the Pacers, you know, they're going to be up against the tax, but, you know. I still think they've got really good talent there too. They've got really good talent. They've got movable contracts as well. They want to make some moves. But the instability scares me there. So the yes. instability scares me with the Pacers. The first-year president of basketball operations scares me with the Celtics. And the Blazers, the defense scares me. The, defense the only, the the only thing that we show. know is nobody wants your window magic job except for a young coach that wants an opportunity. Well, they, they honestly, Brian, if I could be frank, I wouldn't think the magic job would be obviously not against the teams that they're up against. But when I look at the magic job, I'm saying, okay, I've got some stuff to work with. I've got Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony showed some moments. Sure. You know, I, I, I like what RJ Hampton has shown uh, towards the end of the season. I think that, you know, Mobamba showed something. Uh, there towards the second half of the year. Um, you know, Markel Fultz is going to be coming back. Um, you have Chumo Kiki, who's well, going to get Jonathan Isaac back as well. Jonathan yeah. Isaac. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, you, uh, so, you've got some things there. You've got to, and plus, depending on how things go, the Magic are going to have one, maybe even two draft picks in the top seven. There you go. So, I mean, more young it, talent. It, it's young. They've got some pieces to move. Um, some guys they've got some expiring contracts that they, they, they will probably move. They will probably move one of those guards because there's like three of them there. But uh, the whole but, thing is, do you yeah. trust that organization because they've been in a you know constant rebuild? And do you trust the front office? You know, when it comes to drafting and everything, I think their draft last year was pretty good. But I mean, before that, I mean they they went through a period where you could really question some of the picks they've done, the way that they've put this team together. And then obviously, you know, they made the big trade, you know, shipping off Vucevic, and now they get the Bulls pick. That could be really high because yeah. that didn't work out. They've got their own pick. So, but it, it's still going to be a very, very young team that you don't know what you've got from some of these guys. Like, you hope that Isaac comes back healthy and can continue, continue to grow. You hope Fultz comes back healthy and he's building on what we saw at the beginning of them last season. You know, like you said, Cole Anthony, I think, is somebody that they were very, very happy with. Um, can you get more out of Mo Bamba, which has been just a big lingering question around the entire league and this team? And then they did in April and records? May. They did in April or they did in uh, March and April. I right. Say that. So, I mean, you, you my guess would be like. You've got to get a younger coach. 
I think that it's got to be an exciting time too, man. Like well, just thinking about, you know, they're fine. You know, Vooch isn't on the team anymore. Gordon's not on the team. Fournier's not on the team. It's, it's totally a brand different. new, it's it's totally a brand different. new situation. It's kind of a fresh start. I feel like they haven't had that in like four or five years. What, well, when it comes to some of these guys that like the Celtics are interviewing, don't all of those make sense because they're seasoned assistant coaches that have been around. They're good communicators. And even though he's only been coaching for one year, I don't think Chauncey Billups would take the magic job, but I definitely no. interview him because oh, yeah, you try. You, I would you, try you, to get him. Yeah, you interview anybody that is uh, a, a good uh, candidate. Like you don't turn anything down because you know you you're not in win now mode. Wouldn't like, that be a great spot for Vanderpool? Yes, yes, it would. It'd be an excellent spot. It'd be a great spot for someone like a Becky Hammond if if she's not taking over the pop job. Like you know, right. like. That, that does I'm align along the lines of that thinking, you know, like any assistant coach that's been on the bench, who's young and hungry should try to go after that magic job. Well, I mean, Hey, if we talk about it in the family, I mean, Billups did play there. There you go. Got the answer. <laughs> you got the answer. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's get to the awards and then we'll get out of here. Uh, so you just said that Rudy Gobert won defensive player of the year. Yep. Well-deserved, very well-deserved. Um, I, I don't know how in depth we can go in on this because it's obvious block shots. He stops people from coming into the paint at all. Uh, you know, forces really bad looks. That's there, the thing that you don't get in the stats necessarily because people look at blocks. Oh, it's yeah. how many shots he changes. Oh and yeah. How many times does he deter people from even getting into the lane or go wanting to go in the lane? Yep, exactly. Just because there's not the amount of attempts there doesn't mean that people aren't terrified to go in there and try to float something over him. It doesn't work very often. You got to go really over the top. Uh, we had most improved player that was announced. And it was Julius Randall coupled with the coach of the year, Tom Thibodeau. We nailed that one, Brian. We nailed that one. I was so, very happy. I mean, nothing against Monty, uh, but uh, I really thought Tibbs. Just- th- that, that came down to me to who the hell expected the Knicks to have an over 500 record this year. That that's what it came down to, and you know what they did? They got the number four seed in the playoffs. Did wasn't they fall the voting, short? Yes, but wasn't the voting on this that kind of weird from the standpoint? Like Quinn Snyder got left off a lot of ballots. Quinn was very deserving. Monty was deserving. I, I think mean, Quinn Nate McMillan Quinn made got a case. Ten first place votes. I'm trying to find. Here we go. Um, Quinn Snyder, when it comes to first, second, and third place votes, got was it sixty five, seventy five. So he got left off a bunch of ballots. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I thought so too. Because Monty Williams actually got more first place votes. He got Monty two- Williams won the coach vote. Uh yeah. not not the NBA vote, but the coach, the coaches association voted on right. the coach of the year. But even in in the for this, Monty got two more first place votes than Tibbs, but Tibbs got 10 more second Point, place. It's votes. the points, isn't it? The points. Yeah, he got 351 to 340. Um, when you look at it, well, the uh, decider was, if I'm doing some quick math, 51 and 45. So 96 votes for Monty and what was it? Uh, 85, 95 for Tibbs. So Monty actually got one more vote. The problem was so many more people voted for Tibbs for second place. There you go. And that's so weird. It's so weird, but you know, either one of them would have been, they could have been co-coach of the year, honestly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but 
but you know, good on Tibbs. You know, everyone thought, including myself, uh, you know, come in and you know you have this reputation and you, you know you're stuck in your old ways. And he completely played Tibbs ball this year. You know, along with Julius Randle and you know this mixture of this Knicks roster, and they got fourth fourth place this year yeah. in the East. And no one in in hell believe that. And if you say that, you're lying. By the way, so, there was a hundred voters for that. So that means 25 people had did not vote for Quinn Snyder for second or third. Wow. Harsh. Just going to point that out. Had the best record. That means five NBA. people didn't vote for Tibbs for first, second or third. And four people didn't vote for Monty. That's crazy. That's crazy. Like, Nate would have been in, in much better shape. Had he been the coach of the game of the year. I think that yeah. that's also a thing too. Um, Okay, so on from Coach of the Year, we'll go over to MVP. There's not really much to talk about. Nicole Jokic, we kind of called this one. Joel Embiid would have given him a run for his money had he stayed healthy. It would have been very close, very close. But I think Jokic, the fact that you couple all of this together with the Jamal Murray injury, with the, the fact that his, his, his roster changed, uh, the, the the awful start to the season and then just bouncing back and, and having this amazing uh, run and the, the, just the, the number supports the impact on the court. And uh, you know, for him to be the lowest draft pick ever to win the award, to be the first ever uh, second round pick to win the MVP award, you just got to give it up to him. I love Michael Malone's commitment to this guy. He's wearing a shirt taught, you know, all the criticisms of Nikola Jokic on his shirt to see, to, to be seen by the world uh, when he's congratulating him in public. That's awesome. Um, you know, it, it's just really cool. It's really cool to see Nikola Jokic do this comes over from Serbia in the, you know, 2015 draft. And, you know, he's this unknown Yusuf Nurkic, you know, kind of gets hurt and he comes in and then they try them both together and, you know, he wins out though. The work ethic won out and the, the, the talent won out. And uh, those two are very good centers, but you know, Nikola Jokic is just a, is a, is a tier above pretty much everyone else. He's the first center to win the awards in Shaq, you know, so good on Nikola Jokic. Their run is far from over. I, I would not be surprised to see this thing split uh, by the time this recording comes out because it's just that nuggets mentality that I continue to talk about. They just don't quit. And this isn't even in the context of a game. This is in a context overall. And it's this attitude that they've adopted because of Michael Malone that they just believe no matter what wrench you throw, they just believe that they can just overcome any obstacle. And it's showing. It doesn't matter who's on the floor. It's, it's just this self-belief and this collective belief that they have and that's, you know, exemplified by Jokic being their MVP and the leader. Um, so, you know, congratulations to him. I'm interested to see what the Nuggets do in response to, to the Suns uh, after we, you know, get done recording this. But I think it was well-deserved and a very, very fun season from, from Mr. Joker. Absolutely. And for so many people, they were wondering, like, is he just going to win this award because he's the one guy that played in every game? But you you can't deny the numbers that he put up. I mean, 26 and a half points, almost 11 rebounds, eight assists, you know, playing 35 minutes a game. I mean, he I mean, 
Ridiculous yeah, passes. 12, Soft touch. 12th in points, ninth in rebounds, 6th in assists. By the way, I do love that somebody pointed out, because he was, you know, drafted 41st, you know, second round pick, first guy to do that. Somebody pointed out that Nikola Jokic was drafted while ESPN was airing a Taco Bell commercial. That's wild, man. It's great. It, dude, this is what I love about sports, man. You, you know, you look back on a moment like that and you don't even see your name being called by, by Mark Tatum. It was one of those. Like, they come back to go during the break. Uh, the Nuggets took, uh, let's see, Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Jokic, you know, from uh... it's outstanding. <laughs> it is outstanding. I love it. I love let's it. Let's go you to Fran for for the breakdown. <laughs> it's great. That's great. Fran, <laughs> friend of basketballnews.com, by the way, they had a really good combine down there in Tampa first year inaugural um, event that, that they did with, you know, Matt Babcock, Derek Murray, Alex Kennedy was down there. Uh, Terrence Kinsey. They, that was just a very, very cool event. I'm really, really glad to see how that turned out. That was happening while we were doing the live recording too, by the way, but yeah, a friend of basketballnews.com may, oh, he's great. may tell you that. Um, but Hey, Brian, you know, I don't think that there's any other awards that we missed on. Uh, there's not been a rookie of the year announcement yet, which is Jordan Clarkson won six man, which you've already talked about. Yes. This is odd, by the way, rookie of the year. Does it usually come after MVP? <laughs> like, mm, I thought that was a little odd. Yeah. Well, yeah. I always liked it when they announced the MVP before the playoffs. So that way people could hold grudges. Oh, I think it's like when David Robinson, when David Robinson won it, and then Hakeem Olajuwon like just utterly dismantled him. How do you dismantle the Admiral too? Man? Oh, he That's did. crazy. That's crazy. I wish I'd been able to watch. He the put dream a whooping on him. I only, you know, the version of the dream that I saw play. He played in Toronto, and that was not the dream. That I was, saw it. That was uh, old man dream. <laughs> as somebody that was in Orlando, I saw it uh, front and center when he oh, uh, yeah? took apart the Magic when they made it to the finals. <laughs> That's awesome. Shaq that remembers him too. I bet he does. He probably gave him a little bit of a lesson. Oh, the and dream Shaq, shake was on full display again. And Shaq, you know, and Shaq probably took those lessons and took it to become one of the best big men of all time. So mm -hmm. there it is. There it is. Well, you know what that leaves me. We are on Twitter. I'm at Spin Davies. He's at Brian Fritz on Instagram at Spin Davies and at It's Brian Fritz. We are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. 10 other great podcasts for you to listen to. Make sure you tune into those. You leave a like, subscribe, review, do everything you can. Rex Chapman show with Rex Chapman and Josh Hopkins. They just had Muggsy Bogues on. There's a name you haven't heard in a while, I bet. Neat and Unfiltered with Kenyon Martin and Jadakiss, the Posecast with James Posey. Side note, James Posey did an excellent job as well at the Tampa Bay Pro Combine, doing his coaching and, 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 and really overcoming some adversity itself uh, at the combine when two of his best players went down with injury. So shout out to you, Pose. Dishes and Dimes with the ladies, the rematch with Atan Thomas, the dunker spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr., the hottest podcast in America right now, the Alex Kennedy podcast with Alex Kennedy, the Sheridan show with Chris Sheridan, the follow-through with Clips and Drew, NBA Top Shot Weekly with Alex Kennedy and Oliver Maroney. So he's, yes, yes, he has two shows. That's Alex Kennedy. He's always a workhorse. And then, of course, you have us here at Keep It at 94, the Bozos, Spencer Davies, and Brian Fritz, bringing you the best that we can, taking our takes and uh, throwing them out there so you can yell at us on social media. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. So make sure to leave us a comment 
rate, review, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. Really liking uh, the the uh, the feedback lately here, especially on that live show. I'm sure we'll do another live show here uh, coming up. So be on the lookout for that. As well on basketballnews.com, you can look out for the best articles that you'll find anywhere that goes for player perspectives. Kenyon Martin just did a really good article on fans and what the NBA needs to do to make sure that they're in line. James Posey did an awesome article with his firsthand experiences with Danny Ainge the day that he took a step down. As far as interviews goes, you got Alex Kennedy and myself doing these uh, exclusives. I also just had a recent uh, write-up on the Bucks. I just talked about that on this podcast, but I also had a talk with uh, a Cavs source about the future of their team. And uh, being in Cleveland, I can promise you that uh, you'll want to read this one. There's a lot of in-depth stuff on there that has not gone public yet. So uh, for sure, want to visit that one. And uh, I have that tweeted out as well uh, on my profile. Other than that, I think that uh, our, our film breakdowns are outstanding. And I shouldn't say R, it's really Nikias Duncan. He did a really good one with uh, Christophs Porzingis. Uh, so lots and lots of stuff to consume on basketballnews.com. So make sure you go visit and you download our app. You like, rate, review that one too. And as for us here at Keep It at 94, we'll talk to you as these series progress. So until then, we'll see you.